hour and ten. Here we go. So outside of that, how's how's everything been? How's your training been? Uh, training has been a lot more down than up right now, actually. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for those that don't know, I probably like a grade one strain, grade two. Well, not grade one, more like a grade two uh, strain pop in my hamstring. Uh, what we think was probably the short head of the hamstring. I was deadlifting 705 and it was moving probably the best it's ever moved and just pop. I was like, oh, well, that sucks. So, yeah. uh, but I'm working with uh, Seth Albersworth, Dr. Seth Albersworth, and uh, we've got it pretty good. I swatted 210 yesterday, not yesterday, Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to our doing RDLs almost with 400 pounds now. Uh, I've deadlifted over 500 pounds since then. It's only been like three or four weeks. I mean, if you're deadlifting, if you're RDL, if you're doing RDLs in the 400 pounds, your your deadlift is is pretty much good to go, in my opinion. Because yeah, as, yeah. as far as like the hamstring, as, as far as like the the requirements mm-hmm. on hamstrings in terms of length and like contraction in the RDL versus the deadlift, I think you might be in a good spot. Yeah, it's it's the biggest thing is going to be, you know, can we can we push things without pushing too much, right? So. Mm-hmm. And this is where, so I'm kind of biased on this because I, I think like any kind of uh, rehab program should have some form of like corrective exercise, uh, barbell movement, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, and especially with learning from people like Seth and, you know, going through, listening to him speak, learning from people like uh, Danny Lamartini, uh, still probably butcher her last name, but whatever. But like, these are people that are very very smart a lot smarter than i am like but they've figured out a way to like use exercises rehab right and which is exactly what seth and i've been doing um as far as like getting movement getting it in there really quick really early so for instance like i popped my hamstring it was a friday night uh seth had me that weekend monday i was able to do a hip hinge down to like 90 degrees right uh, any other time that something like that's happened, you know, it hasn't been that progressive as far as comeback, right? Mm-hmm. So being able to actually move and get into those positions that are not as tolerable has been really helpful. But Okay. So on the mend from the slight hamstring pop, yeah. uh, I saw you recently had a client compete, uh, Adam, shout out our boy, Adam Wiggins. Uh, he did a yeah. good job. He did a really good job. He uh, squatted 402, benched, I think it was 260, and pulled mm-hmm. for 90, 40, one mm-hmm. of those two. He got called on the last one, but uh, eh, it is what it is. Yeah, like, I understand. I mean, ended up getting it. Pull? It, wasn't, it wasn't a strength issue. It was like an execution no. technical file. I understand. Um, and then you also have another client who's about to be competing. Shout out our other boy, Jeff. His try- See, just and I get to see whatever. Yeah, yeah, just squatted like 458. Yeah. which i think is an all-time pr for him it, he's it done was at 605 uh which is an all-time pr for like well i don't know if it's an all-time pr actually i think he's deadlifted 600 pounds before but it wasn't that clean yeah i i yeah 605 is his all-time pr but um and then he recently pulled his deadlift single i think it was like i was i was there and i was he hit his, his last warm-up at like it was like 562 or some shit yeah and i was like man you, you should really go for the 585 and he told me to load it and then he smoked the shit out of that too so i mean i'm yeah. very excited to see him compete and i think it's like five weeks or something something like that yeah no we're yeah i think like right at right at five weeks we're mm-hmm. on the tail end maybe six 
it's more like five and a half probably whatever that's all arbitrary so and then i am 12 weeks out also i don't know if i ever got with you about that so yeah i think i'm 12 weeks out as well yeah i'm competing too <laughs> oh wow <laughs> great, uh, great yeah great. so it'll be interesting because like and this is something that you know we could probably talk about too is like managing expectations like I, i'm going into this injured right so it's like at what point do you do you sit down like i wanted to squat as close to 700 pounds as i could like yeah. obviously that's probably not going to happen now so it's like let's just go out there we'll squat what we squat we'll pull what we pull but you know maybe we just put all our dice in the bench maybe i'll bench 420 430 this time yeah so uh bench has been going good actually so i might be closing in on like a, a larson 400 pound larson press must be nice because my bench is not going well so it must be nice especially so after the <laughs> After the Iron Nightmare, which for context was like seven weeks ago, after the Iron Nightmare, has I went really full been that long. Yeah, man, it has been. And, uh, so I went full time with my my job at work, and I work. I do like con mostly concrete work out in the sun, and uh, I just started losing a ton of weight. And in the last seven weeks, I think I've lost fifteen pounds, something like that. And uh, the my deadlift seems to have improved, obviously, because like my waist is smaller, my hips are close to the bar. Uh, my squat, interestingly, is still really, really trending well. But my bench, man, I went to bench 365 and it was supposed to be at seven. That shit was at 10. I don't care what <laughs> There's no way I could have got another rep with that. And I racked it and I was like, ooh, Bubba, like, that was not good. Dude, that's so that's the one thing, though. It's like bench always is one of the first ones to go when you start losing weight. For sure. Always. Or, or you're in a deficit or something. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like bench is one of those ones. It's like mass move mass does kind of play toward towards bench press yeah. more than like squat or deadlift. So yeah, understandably. So I mean, outside outside of that, training is going really well. Um, I'm I've, I've been waking up at like two twenty three, two twenty four. So all of a sudden, I'm a two twenty competitor. So that's new. That's a new development. Stop it. Go away. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a the new development for everybody. Um, and then so I signed up for this meet. Hoping to, uh, I obviously want to set the elite total at 220 raw, which I think is like 1650, which uh, I think that's that's doable. I must say, I think I can confidently say like that's in the bag. I'm not really stressing yeah. that too much. Um, what would really be cool is to get as close to 1700 as I can. Um, 1700 in sleeves at 220 would be, that would be very good for me. And then I could happily move my butt back to 242 and not have to be necessarily so concerned with ever considering 220 again. Uh, but I would like to check, I would like to check the elite total and like, while I'm there, if I could swing a little over that at 1700, that would be cool. Yeah. And then move on to 242 where I'd like to do 1800 or 1850 or whatever. So. Yeah. Which is so easy to say. I, and I recognize that that sounds so casual to the audience. And I recognize that this is a long-term process and I don't mean like, it'll just happen like that, but those are the, that's the long-term plan that I'm eyeing right now. God, dude, could you imagine going 242 in one month? No. Only Tanner. God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. A shout out our boy Tanner, who I will say, like Tanner's Tanner's ability to to uh put on weight and then drop the weight and lose the weight quickly, especially in the window around a meet. Um, it's it's pretty impressive, honestly. Like if if it wasn't somewhat concerning, it would be very, very yeah, impressive. Like it's it's disgusting, terrifying, and <laughs> hate it, but he does it and then still performs. I'm like this you shouldn't be doing this but whatever like you're 
you're doing it. <laughs> I mean, so Tanner also recently recently competed, and interestingly, yep. his uh, his peak was not. I, I would not call it a, a a hot peak. I would not call it a a. I mean, it was obviously successful because we he went to the meet and set PRs and had a good day. But he wasn't necessarily smoking the PRs in training that we were expecting. That his numbers were indicating he would. Um, yeah. So it was really good to see him peek into the meet and hit those numbers and his squat, especially like, I mean, I'm, his squat is what I'm, what I'm most uh, interested to see what he can get out of. I, he wants to go to 198. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that lighter body weight treats him. We'll see how that smaller waist circumference treats the squat. But I think it'll be, oh. I think it'll be great for, I think it'll be great for him all around, even in yeah. terms of just his overall health. Just overall health. Yeah. I, like I, I, just, I dislike the stereotype of the, when, when someone says power lifter, they immediately think of like Dave Hoff, you know, they immediately think of like 370 pounds in multiply squatting highest, you know, squatting sky high. It's, it's what they immediately yeah. think of. And I would dick in four years. Yeah. And then I would say that like, uh, that the, the trend away from that is, has been staggering even, and even in yeah. some of the heavier classes, like you look at some of the 275, 242, even the 308 world record holders, those dudes are not fat. They're just gigantically strong Dude, they're just, they're just big like yeah it's massive the only caveat i'll say to that is like i don't like the uh some of the drug protocols they do to get like yeah. that like i think there's better ways of doing it that's just my opinion but also it's like it's hard to speak on without knowing their blood work yeah but, and, a, and a lot of it's going to be time frame like yeah there, there are multiple ways to get to, to super heavyweight but there are multiple ways to get to super heavyweight and set the 2200 pound total or whatever but a lot of it comes down to like time frame and, and the lifter's yeah. age and those kind of considerations. And you're right. Like some of these dudes who, who want to be the biggest and baddest, they, they, they push it, you know, but God bless America. Yeah, it's like, at what, what expense though? Like what expense were you pushing this? Cause like, is it worth, you know, all the, the trend halo to, to squat a thousand pounds, but only live till 28, 30. Like, um, I don't, I would, my, my immediate question to that would be who has died at 28 or 30 from halo. But, um, you make about, you make a valid point that, and I would not want to argue at all. The fact that the abusing PEDs will shorten your lifespan. Like that's not the hill that I'm going to die on only that. Uh, yeah. Only that I, I support people's right to make their own decision, but yeah. I, and, and it's weird because you could say the same thing for cycling or swimming or any of the things that people are willing to cheat and really push the limits and abuse their bodies for. And it's easy for you or I to say like, bro, it's, it's just swimming. You're just doing laps. Yeah. In a, you know what I'm So it's just, I think it's up to the individual to determine, you know, what their, what their goals and values are and then, and then make the appropriate choices from there. But with that said, I do agree with you that it gets excessive. It gets out of hand. It gets, yeah. and, uh, and more to your original point, I do believe that it, it will ultimately shorten lifespans to what degree and to how much depends on a lot of things, but yeah, I do, yeah. I do feel com comfortable saying that, that it will shorten your lifespan. Like, I think it will if done inappropriately, but I think if, you know, and this is somebody who doesn't really know a whole lot, but you know, Someone if you're using a safer drug protocol, like a, a lower dose type protocol, and you're only running two or three compounds at a time, like that would, I think in the long run of things, and probably what we'll see anecdotally as like time goes on, these people who are more leaning towards those types of, uh, those types of cycles and whatnot, like, like most of the guys I talk to that are running gear now are running those types of cycles. And they're like getting blood work regularly, which is really cool to see, honestly, because that's like, you'll run into them every now and then like there, when I was back in Florida, there was one guy, you know, running seven or eight compounds and 
oh my god man like your blood work your blood must be syrup right now yeah oh the, the hematocrit must be sky high Dude. yeah and so anecdotally you can even look at some some people like uh arnold schwarzenegger or sylvester stallone mm-hmm. like these guys are in their 80s and yeah. they are still they're still living and functioning at a high level and they were quote unquote abusing the fuck out of steroids like oh, these guys were massive now you could easily make the point that because of their wealth they're able to afford a level of health care that the average joe cannot and I would say yeah. well, that's true, but it speaks to your original point of there being a smart way to do things and a way to sustainably do things long term. And then you have like the the other cases, and we don't have to bring out the laundry list of names of deaths in the last two years, uh, two years alone, yeah. um, especially in the bodybuilding scene. So it's uh, I, I it, you know it's it's very nuanced, and it and it comes down to what you do and how you do it and how much and when and uh, dosage exposure and there's. Genetic drugs one. alone like yeah. which ones you choose yeah there's there's a lot that goes into it and it's it's so nuanced and it's easy it's easy for people to, to make the blanket statement like drugs bad drugs kill you and that's yeah. not necessarily the case because like they've proven in the literature that that like uh replacing like trt like hormone replacement therapy testosterone testosterone replacement therapy uh it can actually help men like live longer lives in general like it's yeah. due, to, due to multiple factors like increased bone like bone mineral density and and you prevent some of the some of the wasting diseases that typically would take some of these men later in life um but it's it's thought that supplementing the testosterone is actually uh a way to improve longevity so you can't necessarily make the statement that like steroids bad they kill you well some do in some doses sometimes exactly it's like how do you use it i mean right. that's that's what it all really comes down to even with training it's like are you beating the level of crap out of yourself to where you're not making progress because it's so it's... well apparently the whole wide world is doing uh weighted dips now that's the move and i get it because a couple lifters of note uh bob matthews and ashton rouska uh from uh, their dawson woodham yeah yeah and from their co- i mean um shane hunt like a lot of these guys have been doing it um they've been doing these heavy weighted dips and it, it has taken the powerlifting world by storm and apparently everybody's doing these heavy weighted dips now so um, I don't have any issue with it's just it, it just speaks to the trends because I remember two or three years ago when Sean Noriega had that. the whole when I remember when Sean Noriega had the whole world doing Larson presses everybody was doing Larson presses two or three years ago and they're a worthwhile movement uh, and yeah. then after Larson presses it was oh pause deadlifts for sure pause deadlifts yeah. were, were two years ago pause deadlift high rep deadlifts yeah, that was the move man um and now some of that's kind of fallen out of vogue and so now we're seeing the the weighted dips weighted pull-ups which is yeah. cool it's, it's just interesting to see some of these things come in and out of vogue you know because they're never new or original ideas they're just becoming popular once more yeah. which i mean i'm a fan of loading body weighted movements sure. just to own your own capacity right being able to move your own capacity underweight through those ranges of motion are going to do you more good than externally stabilizing yourself on say like a uh, pull down or anything like that because then you're not getting that same type of movement per se you're not having to stabilize things you're not having like don't get me wrong like those those externally stabilized movements have their places mm-hmm. but you won't replace controlling your own body and i think that's where it really really comes down to it like how many people do you know can do a behind the neck pull up probably not many yeah not many like but that's what is that? It's the same position as your squat rack, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can if you can own into that position, and I'm not saying like everybody needs to be able to do it or anything like that, but like if you can own into that position as far as movement goes, like you're you're 
your squat rack is going to be no problem. Let me see. Like easy. Uh, same like with behind the neck presses. Like good, good at those to where you can actually come down with weight and control it, not drop down into it. It'll be fine. Um, but yeah, it's the whole thing with dips though. Like I have a problem with dips when people do them and they just slap on a bunch of weight and it looks like, you know, they're doing two thirds of a rep or a third of a rep at the expense of, well, you know, I can't go that low because my shoulder will blow out. It's like, yeah. Cause you don't know how to control the shoulder or the movement. They're doing the equivalent. It's the equivalent of a quarter squat. Yeah, exactly. And like, nobody wants to call it. And it's like, oh, you have to hit parallel with your, with your arms. And it's like, I mean, yeah, but you're only going through half the range of motion still at parallel to the arms, which is like, like I personally, for somebody who has uh, not chest, but uh, pec problems or somebody who has like a really, really uh, weak off the chest bench, I think dips are great. But also, I think even better than that, they're great for accessing a range of motion that most people miss, which is that internal rotation and extension position, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can if you can control the dip one body weight and get all the way down, but then add weight on top of that, that's great because that's where it really pays. Yeah, I agree. I see value in, in weighted dips and weighted pull-ups. And some of my, like, when I say best, I, I just mean some of my... Um, I don't even want to say most capable. Some some of my most accomplished athletes, I'll say. Maybe I don't, how do I say it? Higher like, performance. Okay, right. Some of those athletes, uh, some of those, some of those people are regularly doing weighted dips and weighted pull-ups. You know, so and I do pull-ups all the time, both for reps oh, so and for weight and for so I see a ton of utility in the movement. It's just interesting to see it come into vogue again because yeah. especially, especially since some of these, especially since some of these uh high-level tested lifters have started posting about them everybody's doing them so interestingly well, I've also I mean, been seeing I've been seeing a ton of weighted um 45 degree back extensions also from Pete Rubish and uh, incidentally from uh, Chance Mitchell who got them from Pete Rubish those have yeah. also really kind of come onto the scene but the the funny part is, is you can usually tell who's just doing it because it's a fad and who's doing it because it actually makes a difference in their programming and it's usually just coming down to like the execution of the movement right because you take the same 45 degree back extension and somebody who's just doing it because it's a fad, they're like, oh, 45 pounds is nothing for me. Like going up and down, up and down, up and down. It's like, yeah, but what if you actually controlled the movement and fully went through a range of spinal flexion and then back up into thoracic extension and then came back down? Tell me how many of those you can actually do. Like that's where it starts to really get interesting because like those people are the ones that are going to, uh, not necessarily get well they're probably gonna get injured less number one they're probably gonna have less back problems number two because they're loading through spinal flexion and whatnot but those people are gonna want they're gonna be the ones that are performing better right because mm-hmm. they're having an intent behind their training i guess you yeah. um it's interesting because you're talking about going through the different degrees of spinal flexion and extension and the way a lot of them are doing it, the way a lot of them are being programmed and executed, I mean, up into the 400 pounds where it's like, they're not yeah. looking, they're not looking to deviate spinal position at all. They're looking to keep their quote unquote neutral back and then really use their hamstrings and especially their glutes uh, to, to move high degrees of load in that position. Yeah. And that's the way I'm seeing them used right now also. So it just kind of is an interesting, interesting way to point out like movements having different, uh, different forms of intent behind their execution. Yeah. 
Cause you would never want to, you'd never want to do that with 400 pounds, go through all the degrees of flexion and extension. Oh, not, no, no, no. I was talking would... like just lower loads, but it's like, it's, you could get that same, in my opinion, you could get that same stimulus mm-hmm. with lower loads. It's just like you said, depending on what you want to do. Like if you're trying to attack uh, the hamstrings and glutes, which I think that exercise in my opinion, is just a poor like hamstring exercise, but that's just like when you look at the, the anatomy of the hamstring in a flex position at the hip is probably where you're going to get the most bang for your buck, depending on what you're trying to do. But mm. like, if you're trying to hit, there's not really like spots you can hit with a muscle, depending on like flexion and stuff like that. But if you're trying to bias a muscle more is what I'm trying to say, yeah. or a section of fibers of a muscle more, like mm. it, it's dependent on that. But, uh, but yeah, uh, you're not going to do four pounds through loaded spinal flexion unless you've, you've built that up. Like Dawson Winham, again, I've seen it. Yeah, is the only one that I know of that is doing Jeffrey uh, Jefferson curls with I don't know, like four or five hundred freaking pounds. And I'm like, that's great. I mean, you're never going to have back problems. Even his pull, or from you the- have back problems, and you've just you know, yeah, even that built pull- the structure around it. That pull from his toes was completely was was full spinal flexion also. Like he yeah. he's he's not able to extend at all in any of in any portion of his spine when he initiates. Cause I was even wondering, I'm like, man, is he gonna be able to pull any of that, like any slack? Or is he gonna be able to pull any like thoracic extension? And nope, he had to go from full flexion. And uh he pulled like six hundred pounds from a deficit where the bar was like under his toes. And it's like, yeah, man, that's that's <laughs> that's some nutty stuff right there, man. Yeah. It, it- it just kind of really goes to show like the body's capable of doing a lot of different things. We're not to stick to this dogma of like, you know, spinal flexion, bad, uh, you know, knees over toe, bad, valgus, bad. And it's like, what's bad though. What's bad about it. If we're like the one, the human body's built asymmetrically. Right. So nothing's side to side. The same. Two, we're all built differently. So one would be bad for me. might not be bad for you. Right. Like if I'm someone who can't really push that, that knee over my foot then maybe i have to take a wider stance Mm -hmm. simple as that right so it's it's i hate the dogma that comes onto it and we're kind of i think i think what's happening now is we're having enough people speak out on it you know on instagram on youtube all all these different types of things that we have going on now in the world but it's slowly becoming a hopefully more educated realm of coaches right because Mm -hmm people can just go out there and find whatever they want and from whoever they want. But I think the world is leaning more towards better education as coaches, number one. And I think that's probably one of the best things we could ever do. Mm. But also I think just better education as athletes as well. For sure. And I I would, I would say that there's been a, almost like a rising tide in terms of, of the standard or in terms of information, or even in terms of like the, the, the information that I would come to expect the casual powerlifter to know is I'm finding now it's a lot more nuanced and they're aware of a lot. They're aware of a lot more concepts now than they might have been aware of in the nineties, for example, Mm -hmm. just because of how far the tide has risen, how, how much things have progressed in terms of our understanding of training and programming and just the, the years of, of continually applying the sport, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, the sport was relatively new, especially raw powerlifting. Here in 2023, we have decades and decades more anecdotal experience and data to look back on. So as we're able to do so, even the casual lifter is, I was even thinking the other day, I'm like, man, I was thinking of how many girls, to be honest, I was thinking of how many girls I know who are closing in on a 400 pound deadlift. 
like yeah. who are either closing in on it or have it. And I'm like, we're all lifters. We're like, but also lifters. how many of those girls are under 150 pounds? I was just about to say, so lifters under 200 pounds and yeah. it, even under 200 pounds is still like, I, I would hazard to say that, that it's a, not necessarily a common accomplishment uh, for a woman around 150 to pull 400, but I would say that it's infinitely more common now than it was in the nineties. Yeah. You know, it's just like the, the tide has risen so much. Like now you, and it, it sucks because Instagram has kind of skewed our perception of ability and has kind of skewed our perception of the bell curve. Because yeah. now when, when someone tells me like, yeah, bro, I pull 700 raw. I'm like, yeah, so does that 15 year old kid who weighs a buck 30. Like, yeah, so does don't everybody. Remind me. <laughs> so does everybody else on Instagram, bro. How much do you squat? Like, and, yeah. don't, and if you're a super heavyweight, this isn't your time to chime in, bro. I'm talking about the guys under 200 pounds. Yeah, the super heavyweights are always, bro, I squat 700. Dog, you weigh 400. Like, yeah, not to, not to take anything away from a 700 pound squat at 400, because that's a big squat. It's more than I can squat. I don't want to make it. I don't want to make any claims. But uh, it's not nearly as impressive as someone who's squatting, say, 600 pounds at 200. Yeah. That's triple yeah. body weight, you know, or more, depending on how far they push it. Yeah. Instagram it just has us, has us all believing that, that the world is full of these freaks and monsters. But I travel a lot. You know, I travel a lot for uh, either to visit other gyms or to see friends or to like, see my girlfriend in North Carolina. And it's interesting because... I don't perceive myself as being very strong or very impressive, but I'm often the strongest lifter in the gym. And it's like, it's weird because in my mind, I'm not a good lifter. I'm not very strong. I'm not very noteworthy, but you put me in a USAPL gym with a bunch of tested kids and I'm a fucking, I'm a shark in there. I'm a killer. And it's, it's kind of interesting because I don't perceive my ability that way because of the, and because of the company I keep like here, if you go from, from Daytona beach and you get on 95 and you go straight south and you go to like, so if you just pass Perfect Storm and then Treasure Coast, you're going to hit like two dozen international elite lifters just in that like 70 mile stretch. Yeah. So, so like it's a lot of it is the area I'm in and how and how good and accomplished a lot of these lifters are. Yeah. But, that's the honest, thing like I love about being like where I'm at here in Texas and whatnot. Yeah. Because like being at Primal, you know, I've got Blake, I've got Jojo who probably will squat eight, 900 pounds this next competition. Uh, we've got this Jesus Christ dude, Big J, who double overhands, no hook grip, 700 pounds for a double. Is that his training Process grip? that. Is that his comp grip? Yeah. What kind of farm boy shit is that? Dude, I, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I watch him do it every time and I can't speak afterwards because I'm just dumbfounded. I'm like, this is not possible. Double overhanding 700 pounds, people. Like, just get that through your head. I wonder how much I could do. No hook grip. Yeah, I know. Granted, the man is like 6'6 or something like that at 400 pounds, but oh, he's got I don't care. Oh, he's got trash can lids for hands. He must have Dude, monstrous hands. his hands are huge. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Still, Either though. way, though, like, I don't know if, like, I think the only other grip athlete that might might have been able to do that would have been Mark Henry um I, I can't think of anybody else i can't really think of any people who would have attempted it to be honest like and he's just like no i've just never really looked into pulling any other way and i'm like what <laughs> all right excuse me i mean if it's working yeah but i mean just, yeah yeah no I, i've never seen him train grip either like in the time i've been there i'm just like bro like <laughs> what is some farm ass boy like 
What? I'm, I'm tempted to see how, how I'm like next time I deadlift, I'm tempted to warm up double overhand and see how much I could get to. And I'm thinking uh, low 500s would probably be maybe 550. About that 500 mark, yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, but I'm a, I, I rely on hook grip, which is for our audience, like it, hook grip relies on mechanical leverage way yeah. more than strength, yeah. way, way more than strength. I try to explain that to people. I'm like, it's a function of levers. And if you can lever the bar into the right place in your hand, it, you're not going to drop it and it's, the bar's not going to roll. The issue is people try to take the grip too high or they rotate at their wrist or whatever. And then when the bar leaves the ground, it rolls. And that rolling on their thumb is, is death and destruction. Yeah. Like it's or it's something of the sort where some, depending on the hook grip you take, uh, holding too tight or holding oh, yeah. in the wrong place yeah. uh, can make a difference as well. But yeah, dude, like going back to uh, the whole like environment thing, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's so, it's nice not being the strongest person in the gym. And, like I am nowhere near the strongest person in the gym. For sure. I don't care if they're on drugs or not. Like it doesn't matter. And, yeah. But it's now a goal to be the strongest person in that gym, right? And to be an authority on either powerlifting or movement or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got Blake who is a really smart, good coach and a excellent powerlifter, the best 181 in the world. Uh, you've got his wife, Shelby, who does uh, muscle activation techniques and stuff. Like she's really good at what she does with that. And they both have a really good understanding of the human body. And it's, it's like to have, to be surrounded by people like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's one of those things where you're like, dude, I know absolutely nothing right now. Like even with all the things that I know, like I know nothing surrounded by the people that I am. Therefore, like I have to do something to, to better myself. And it's just being a product environment in that, of that environment. Right. Mm-hmm. And like the quote that comes to my mind is, uh, I think it's James Clear. Like you don't, you rise to the level of your systems in place, uh, your environments in place, right? You don't rise to the level of your goals. If your systems and environments dictate, or not dictate, but are supporting, you know, that travel to that goal, you'll reach it. Whether, not whether you want to or not, but most most likely, like it's going to be there. And I think if you're if you're someone who finds yourself like, oh, I'm the strongest person at this gym you probably might want to find a better gym and not necessarily better gym, but just a different gym to train at and, you know, find a new perspective of, okay, like I'm, I'm the strongest person when I go here, but over here, like I'm not the strongest person. Maybe we'll find a new competitive edge going over there or something. It's so. I agree. And, and, and with any luck, you're, you're, you as the audience member have that option. Um, I know that a lot of listeners and even some of the guys I coach are, and I'm like, man, we need to get you to a power gym. And they're like, yeah, nearest one is 60 miles. And I'm like, ooh, dude, that's pain and suffering. And I can't realistically yeah. ask anybody to drive an hour and 20 minutes each way, five days. You know, we can't do that. So I do you have, have some, like a two hour training session. I know. So I do have some crunch fitness boys and it's like, I feel yeah. their pain, you know, like, and you know, they, they say all the time, man, I'd love to be in, in one of those kinds of environments with that kind of equipment. And, and, and I, and I'm fond of pointing out that that looks can be deceiving in terms of like some of these gyms, like it's not all it's cracked up to be in some of these gyms and that uh, provided they're willing to put in the work and, and reach their goals at, at the gym they're at when they go to this, they'll go to the same competition as everybody else. And they're going to lift on the same combo and kilos as everybody else. And they're going to have a good day. So it's, it's been working out well, Uh, but I do. I hit my first 585 pound squat on a commercial plate and bar. 
So uh, my first, so my first 400 pound deadlift was in a commercial Globo gym. My yep. first 500. Okay. My first 500 pound deadlift was at healthy evolutions fitness, which is definitely a power gym. It's like a power and strength gym. I'll, I mean, it's, it's not a, a global yeah. gym, but uh, I did the majority of my training up to that 500 pound. I did almost all of it in commercial gyms, uh, build, um, building, building bodies in Rockledge. It's been there since the eighties. I did a, I did a ton of my early training there. You go on my Instagram and see that gym. I did a ton of my training there. So, I mean, environment is not everything, but if you are able to seek out these, these competitive environments where you're not the strongest person and more importantly, where you can find some of these mentors, because that's what yeah. really, that's what really in my mind drives progression in terms of knowledge, ability, and even in like terms of networking and social friends, I've gotten so much out of, I'm, I kind of made it a point every Saturday to try to visit a new gym. And I've been doing that for a while now. And I've been holding off on visiting these last couple on my list because they're the ones I was most interested in. And that's Perfect Storm and Treasure Coast. Um, so I'm visiting both of those here also here pretty soon. I think I'm going to try to take a 700 pound deadlift at Perfect Storm or at Treasure Coast. And then I'm going to try to squat 600 at Perfect Storm because yeah. um, they have the monolift and everything too. It's actually the monolift that I'll probably be competing on. Oh, you so do have the storm. Nice. Shut out the storm. Yeah, I know that would be nice. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do that. But since I've been doing that and, and, ex and exposing myself to these different areas, the network I've been able to build, not just in terms of prospective clients, but in terms of strong ass motherfuckers who I know, like who I know personally, who I've spoken to, who I've, who I now am connected with on Instagram, like that network that you can build and the way that you can meet some of these people. Um, it's, I highly recommend if you're able to like travel outside of your small gym, like travel outside of your small community. And especially if you're, if you're active on social media and Instagram, I, I just meet, I just follow people in the central Florida area. And then like, I'll meet them, I'll go to their gym or whatever. And then like, that's a, an actual friend. That's an actual connection I have. And I recommend people do that more often, especially if they're in an area where it's like, for example, um, in the, one of the places I was visiting, one of the gyms, one of the gyms there was super nice. And then it was also pointed out to me that like, oh yeah, within 45 minutes of here are another seven power gyms that are equally or nicer. And I'm like, man, that's, I could, I mean, I'm from a place where that's not really, we don't have that. We have one power gym and kind of our whole, kind of our whole uh, yeah. county area. So um, it's, if you're able to, and you're able to network and you're able to find these places where you're not the strongest person, I highly, highly recommend it. Even if it's just to get outside your bubble and do some traveling and meet some people and make some friends, it's worth the hour drive. If you have, if you have other power gyms that are within an hour of you and you've never been to them, I, I think you're being sheltered and that you should branch out and explore. In my opinion. No, I mean, that's definitely fair. As long as you can afford it. Like, well, the day passes are usually like 10 bucks. Like, it's usually not like, it's not ridiculous to do as far as like ways that I would spend money entertaining myself on a Saturday. It's yeah, very, no, it's very, sure. very, very productive. And Go I will say it's like 15, 20 bucks just for the ticket, man. Like you're going to, if yeah. you, if you take a girl to the movies and you, and you get any kind of concessions or anything, you're going to spend $50. Oh, easily. Um, right. And then there's also the fact that because you're in this novel environment with other lifters that you respect, but don't know, man, your training is always on point. You're always having good days when you're visiting a new gym and you're, you're the new guy and fucking everybody's eyeing you. You always have a good day. You always are hitting good numbers. Yeah. And I will also say that because I'm a competitive motherfucker. And so, so I get a lot, <laughs> I get a lot out of this. Like, that's why I say like, I'm going to take these big lifts at these other gyms where I don't know people and it's not my equipment and those aren't my friends, but like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to miss in front of these people. Me miss in front of you. No. no. And I may, well, that's the thing, though. they're like big lifts, but in my yeah. mind, but in my mind, I won't. 
and that's and that's something to say like for for you for your attitude and whatnot because like you're like so personally i'm i'm more introverted than yeah. i am extroverted for sure uh and i've always been like that like unless i'm in the gym like and even shut up. And yeah <laughs> but also then it's like you know i'm also there to train like i i when i'm at the gym i usually have my headphones in and if i have my big headphones on then it's like my I call them my fuck off headphones. Uh, <laughs> so, <Over there>. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. which I find myself wearing more and more right now, unfortunately, with my workload that I have. And I got to put mine on at recruit sometimes, man. It, it gets busy. It, yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I've got to, I've got to manage my time. So mm-hmm. don't like the, the biggest thing is like, if if you do go to these places go outside of your shell is what i'm saying um like meet those point. people say hello mm-hmm. uh i am a hundred percent guilty of things like that like being you know the weird guy that doesn't say anything but just trains yeah. and then like you know oh i hit a 600 pound you know squat and hit a 400 pound bench and a 700 pound deadlift and never said a word yeah oh, <laughs> like yeah. like that's a very true it just came in for a day pass and then didn't say a thing yeah i mean ideally ideally in my case i know people at all the gyms i've been to yeah and, and even more to that point in all of these gyms i have clients too like i'm visiting clients and i'm able to yeah and that helps a lot it's kind of cool because like i'll go back to beast like once every five or six beast barbell in deland shout out beast barbell i'll go there that's like one of my that's like my favorite gym in central florida um yeah. I'll go there every five or six weeks and check in with, I have a client there and then I have a ton of friends there and it's cool to check in on their training and see what they're all doing and answer any kind of questions that may have come up. Cause they always have a bunch of questions. Um, and it, it, I find that it's, it's really good as far as social interaction, but then it's really good from a coaching perspective because being able to physically answer questions one-on-one the flow, the flow of information yeah. through DMS is painfully slow. I send you a sentence. You send me a sentence. I send you a sentence. You send me a sentence. Whereas in real time, the exchange of ideas is instant. Yeah. So the concepts I'm able to relay and the, like, I'm able to give appropriate receptive feedback, tactile cues. I'm able to like actually answer these quick fire questions. And I find that we're able to progress in terms of our relationship and in terms of their understanding of what I want them to be doing. We're able to progress leaps and leaps and bounds in one training session together versus, versus months of these DMs back and forth, which is still a viable way to coach people. And I do coach people online every day, but I find that being able to check in with them in person, especially if you can do it on their like testing days. Oh like, yeah. It makes a heavy huge day. difference. It makes a man. It's so cool. It's so good. And so that's the thing though. It's like, cause so they make, uh, or not make, they, they've done research on that too. Um, actually Dave Osborne did mm-hmm. something similar to that, but he did it all through online coaching. If I'm not mistaken. And what he would do is like, uh, the same day check-ins like a day or so afterwards and then one week check-ins or something like that mm-hmm. and you can correlate it to performance right because just like you said like if you give somebody immediate feedback then they're able to take that cement it more think about it more and probably be able to apply that a little bit easier than the next time of okay i got all my feedback at one point now I've got to remember my squat feedback, my bench feedback, my deadlift feedback, and I've got to go and apply that now. Plus, they're already thinking about the next week's training. They're not thinking about, okay, well, what what did what could I approved upon in this week's training versus mm-hmm. I've got to get ready for uh, next week and whatnot, right? 
So like that, that immediate feedback is something that is really invaluable. And honestly, like if I could do it, I'd love to do it. Unfortunately, I just, all my video feedback is at one point, mm -hmm. usually on the weekends, I can answer questions like you were talking about, like in the DMS and things like that, pretty, uh, yeah. usually pretty quickly, but it's well, kind of at the mercy of, uh, time at this point so it's, it's also worth noting that a lot of that's going to clear up for you in the near future so, so <laughs> right in terms of like when your contract ends for your current employment and then in terms yeah. of when you graduate with your degree you'll all of a sudden find yourself in a, in a field where you're able to dedicate much more of your time to the endeavors you choose like your coaching practice exactly it won't be like and this I, I plan to either you know own a practice inside a gym or a practice in its own or you know, if I can't find somewhere I like or fit in, open my own gym, open my own practice inside of it, whatever, yeah. you know, uh, whatever the future holds. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Like I don't plan on not coaching. I love it. Um, it's to me, it's a lot of fun seeing somebody come to me, have issues. And then, you know, three weeks later, be like, I have no issues anymore. Uh, case in point, you know, uh, working with Adam, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we had, we had some uh, bicep issues going into this meet and whatnot. And hopefully he doesn't mind me talking about it. I don't think he will, but uh, we had some bicep issues going into the meet, right? And so we implemented some daily movements. We implemented a little bit of different training tactics and whatnot. And within two weeks, he had no, no bicep pain, right? Mm -hmm. And that's like, for me, I place a lot of money on that because like that's, that's what I deem as like a, a really valuable thing in my, my program for any of my athletes or anything like that. It's like, I want to keep you out of pain as much as possible. Uh, I think Seth Albers was the one that said it is, uh, if you get to a meet and you're broken, you did it wrong. Plain and yeah. simple. And which I agree with that to a degree, but I also think if you're competing at a very high level and you're going into a meet, you're going to have some dings and scrapes in which I, he acknowledges, he acknowledges that and whatnot, but it's yeah. like, to what degree are they? Right. Because if you're going into a meet and, and I've seen it before, you know, you're going into a meet and the person can only stand one set of squats. And it's like, well, why are you even doing this meet then? Like, unless you're just that absolutely strong that you can only handle the volume of one absolute load squat. Like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be other meets and that's kind of the av avenue I've taken with this one is like, this, this is not going to be my best meet and that's fine. This is a stepping stone one into getting healthy again with the, with the hamstring and whatnot. And then also, you know, a stepping stone into learning more inside the rehab uh, world and whatnot. Uh, and that's, that's pretty cool. But yeah. I it, mean, also it's, it also, it also gives you the meaningful chance to focus on bench because nobody ever fucking focuses on bench in these meets and I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Unfortunately, I will say that I'm going to check that fucking 400 pound box. Because right now my bench PR per open powerlifting is 397.8, I believe. Some fucking ho ass shit, bro. Because it's not 400. And I'm, I'm so funny thing about kilo math. Uh, interestingly, whenever I see somebody say like, "Oh, I just pulled 600," and I see kilos on the bar, or uh, I'm sorry, when they say I pulled 700 and I see kilos on the bar, 320. Yeah, my, my, my brother in Christ. 699.5 or something. My, my brother in Christ. Even if we take that to the seventh decimal, you did not pull 700. <laughs> um, and that's 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 tough because I am also about to scrap with 700. So my plan right now, my training program, my training progress has been hot 
Um, I guess I'll just kind of start at the beginning and recap. Uh, after the meet, um, obviously I'm going to go to maintenance with regards to my spicy supplements. So I go to my TRT levels, which is 175 milligrams a week. Uh, and so with that, I'm, I am obviously expecting a large performance decrease. I'm, I'm expecting a little bit of weight loss. Um, so while that is sorting itself out in those three or so weeks after the meet, uh, I, I try to spend the time working on positioning, um, because it's positioning is, is positioning regardless of load or intensity. So long as the intensity feels appropriate to me, I'm able to really drill positioning in that time. Um, and then I found that I was just hitting good numbers on my pause squats, my pause deadlifts, my, my photo presses, um, that I just continued to ride the momentum until I was like, man, I've been in this block for eight weeks with no deload and I just feel beat to shit. Uh, but I'm coming into this meat prep with a ton of momentum. I paused deadlifted 641. I paused squatted five, 505, I think. Um, yeah. I hit a Larson, hit a Larson's photo press with 365, like just good numbers all around. Um, so I'm excited to go into this meat prep and then right away I've got my, in my first deadlift wave of, of sumo singles, I'm thinking about linearly loading up to 320 and seeing what happens because I've always, so hear me out. I've always, for the last six months, I've believed I'm strong enough to pull 700. Oh, you've been strong enough. I've yanked it to my knees twice. And I've yanked it to my hips once in a meet, like I, I've in a meet twice. And so it's like, I, I really believe that if I just take a low, if I just take a low pressure approach during the off season, still at, at maintenance levels, I really believe the strength is there right now. Like when I paused that 641, that's when I was like, man, I, I could probably pull 700 in this block. So I'm yeah. thinking of, I'm thinking about giving it three or four weeks and just linearly loading up to the 700. So, which brings me to my next issue. If I load 320, it's only 699.6 or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's like, Get dang, some chips. Like, right. <laughs> okay. That's a viable option. Cause recruit does have the, the little one pound chips. No, that's please, please that's don't use chips. That's just viable. load the 322 and a half. <laughs> oh man. But you know how mad I'm going to be if I miss 705 and I could have hit 700. <laughs> so dude, I don't, I, you have I'm the sure. strength. I'm not like yeah, just load I'm, the three, 322. Cause you've got the strength. Like it's, so I'll probably be doing that in the next four weeks or so. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, that's the thing though. It's like, so you've been working on positioning, 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 right? That's what you've yeah. been saying, right? So like position before power is a big saying by Trevor, uh, Trevor Jaffe. And I think that's, that holds true a lot. And I don't think people understand the, the, the concept behind like what he's saying sometimes mm -hmm. when he says that. Yeah. Because like you have, you've had the strength, like you've been saying, right? Yeah. But your positioning has been off some way or form somewhere, right? Every time. Whether that's been getting forward in the lift, because you fell over at a. Uh, so uh, which I, I've tipped forward yeah. in my last four deadlift misses, all the way from the last deadlift for diabetes, where I missed three, six, I missed, I'm sorry, 635 at deadlift for diabetes. That was around a year ago. I missed 635. And then I fell forward. John Hanna's husband had to catch me because he's back spotting. And yeah. then at the meet in Vieira, I missed 700 and bit into the lap. And then at uh, the Iron Nightmare, I missed 689 or whatever and fell into Tara's lap at the <laughs> at the Iron Nightmare. So I always fall forward, and it's a lot of it is my hips rising too early, sending my shoulders forward, like rounding at my shoulders and and like going into thoracic flexion. So I've been really drilling the thoracic extension, the positioning. I'm hoping yeah. that 
that as I go back into meat prep and I introduce some intensity and I reintroduce some of those uh, linear singles, some of the linear triples that I can, uh, I can build up to it and we'll just kind of see what's there. Um, but I'm optimist. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that I can pull like, Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing too. It's like going like continue, like with the whole position of power thing. It's like mm-hmm. even talking about queuing, right? So you're talking about thoracic extension and whatnot. And I think people, in my opinion, I think people focus on that too much, right? Mm-hmm. One, you can pull thoracically rounded. Like that's no problem. You just have a to train that. Do. Like it's, yeah, it's exactly. But also at the same time, it's like, we're not trying to achieve a position of thoracic extension. Like, and I think that's what people get wrong. Mm-hmm. Cause you're not going to have power if you're no, up in this position while you're trying to deadlift, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to achieve the, the, the action of thoracic extension against the barbell and and that's here recently that's how i've been kind of teaching it and that's it's had a lot of merit to it right because it's being able to tension the barbell on a deadlift whether it's sumo or conventional it doesn't really matter and be able to go through the action of thoracic extension versus especially sumo yeah exactly especially (laughs) sumo but being able to get to that action versus that position to me is a lot more valuable because you're actually tensioning through the upper back to reach that. Right. So if you're, if, and please, if you're listening and you know, you pull sumo conventional, it doesn't matter. Try that. Let me know how it feels. Cause I'd love to get feedback on it. Cause I've personally, and for my clients, it's been working very well. So, uh, but it's like, don't place too much emphasis on trying to achieve the perfect position because you're not going to number one, but also at the same time, it's, you're trying to create the action of whatever it is we're doing. Like, you know, same thing with the bench, you know, if we're trying to bend the bar in half, we're trying to set the shoulders into the the best place to press from, right? It's all about external rotation of the shoulder. It's not anything to do with the elbow or anything like that. You know, these, these cues are just trying to get you to perform an action. It's not trying to get you to a position. Like your, your position is going to fall where it falls, Right your body will dictate your position based on your structure and your, your form. Um, hmm. I think the best way I've ever like heard technique and form broken down. And I don't, it was kind of like a, a duh moment. Like technique is universal where form is personal. Right. That's uh, I've not heard that, but I, I like that. And again, that's Seth Albersworth. Like in, yeah. if you can't tell, like he's, he's been influential on, you know, some of the things I've been learning, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the rehab world. But uh, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, we, we're all trying to, to achieve the same technique. Technique is a squat, right? We're trying to stay tall. We're trying to, you know, send our knees forward as much as we can. But the form in which we do it, whether that's a lot of knee travel versus a short amount of knee travel versus leaning over versus staying up is all different, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's where it's, I hate the dogma of, well, you had to squat like this because biomechanically or kinematically or, you know, uh, arthrokinematically. It's like, dude, shut up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I, None of this matters if you can't move a barbell from point A to point B. I feel like a lot of people get lost in the weeds. They kind of major in the minors or they get, they lose the forest for the tree. You know, there's a lot of different yeah. ways to say it lot of ways to say it and they you know they they get hung up on some of these kind of nuances that are that are less important like you said than than i remember when when powerlifting was about getting like big and jacked and getting strong and moving weight and like 
now when I kind of see the state of, of some of the online discussions that we have around like joint angles and like uh, um, joint angles and like what is the most efficacious way to train the long head of the tricep for the bench press and it's like no you're a dumbass you extend you your arm just do just it people, people <laughs> like yo no you you don't know what you're talking about you're not training correctly and i'm like well you bench press 225 and you bench press 197 so i don't know why you guys are having a spirited debate on this page yeah. right now like what are you like what's happening um and I, i've just kind of noticed the tendency for people to to fall into that pattern of, of over of over analyzing things and kind of um losing losing sight of, of intent because of, of some of the nomenclature, for example, like you had mentioned about thoracic extension. And it's when I talk about thoracic extension in the deadlift, you're correct. I'm not talking about actually extending my, my thoracic positioning. I'm talking about my thoracic extensors. I should say that. Like I'm, I'm talking about exactly. training, like you're using training your, strengthening your, traps, your rhomboids, you're correct. using yes. all of these different the lats, like all these different muscles yes. to reach this action. Agreed. It's, it's a, it's an action of the muscles to perform a functionality. Agree. And that's, and that's kind of an interesting way. Cause I've not really, I've not really seen it expressed that, that that could be a confusing way to say it where I talk about thoracic extension, but I right on its face, you're right. Cause that's not the position I'm pulling from. I'm, I'm pulling from even like thoracic flexion. I'm just mm -hmm. using my thoracic extensors to maintain that position and then go into lockout. Yeah. Um, and that's the biggest thing for me is like, if somebody's going to pull with thoracic flexion, cool. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Like, I don't yeah. mind it. Yeah. Like if that's how you pull, that's how you pull. As long as you can lock out. As long as one, you can lock out and two, <laughs> you don't lose the position. Yeah. If you're, if you're going into a pool and you're thoracically rounded and you don't lose position, cool. hundred percent do let's do it. But if you're going into a pool and you lose position, you get more rounded, you dump even more like, yeah, sorry, man. Like we're gonna have to work on that. Like, and you're not, you're, well, you're not gonna go to lock it out either. So no. like, that's my thing. Like if, if you have, if you have shit technique, you can just let the weight keep getting heavy enough until it exposes the fact that like you're never, especially when in some of these bad starting positions I see, especially in conventional, I'll see guys start with like this really kyphotic positioning in their upper back. And I'll see them start with even, even a degree of like spinal, uh, spinal flexion in their lumbar spine, their pelvis is kind of tucked under them and they'll just kind of Jefferson curl it up. And that position is, is strong until they hit their knees. And yeah. then the moment, then the moment that barbell hits their knees and they go to extend their knees and they have to uncurl all of that thoracic flex, all, all of that spinal flexion, it's not a good time. So, I, and the proof is in the pudding. You'll see some of these dudes yank a bar to their knees and then there's no shot they ever can get their hips through and lock yeah. it out. And I think another aspect of this too is like uh, simplicity. Mm -hmm. So like simplicity is going to ranking. So if, if you've got an athlete or, oh, wow. Some might up. Cruise missile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But uh, if you have something, if you have somebody, uh, where's my train of thought going on this now? Oof. Oh, all right. Let's restart this. Right. Oh. So if you have somebody, right, and you're trying to achieve something with them, going about it the simplest way possible is going to be the best route, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the simplest things you can do are going to be one, probably the biggest thing for the book and probably the best uh, options you can do. Mm -hmm. uh, case in point being, you know, uh, so, uh, specificity and variations, right? How simple is it to change specific, uh, specificity? It's, I mean, it's super easy, right? So we can change specificity just by doing, you know, a change in reps, change in tempo, change in pause, like Anything. all no, these different things. And they're all just degrees of separation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if we can, 
if we can keep things as simple as possible. So like, so you're, for instance, doing Larson press, right? Mm -hmm. You know, all right, cool. Well, you're really only one degree away of separation from a composition bench press. Mm -hmm. so that's pretty simple. Yeah. Right? You're not changing things exponentially or anything like that. You're not going to a Larson press one and a half on a bow bar. And it's like, well, what's that going to do for you? Yeah, it might get you stronger, but is it the best thing you could do? One, for your positioning, two, for anything else. And is it the simplest? By all means, no. It's just like when you add chains or bands to a bar, it's like, it's not going to magically make you stronger just because you have a combinating resistance. I agree. Like it, it, depending on what you're trying to do, it can be the simplest option. If you're trying to do speed work in some kind of conjugate program, then yeah, maybe that's the simplest way to add, you know, your resistance. But any other way, it's like, and my, my programming has shifted this way as well. It's like, what's the simplest thing we can do to one, continue to make progress, make progress meet to meet, have less downtime in between meets, and also have less fatigue in between training sessions. Like, what's the simplest amount of, uh, simplest exercises we can do? What's the simplest thing we can do for you at the point in time to really get into, you know, if you're having knee trouble, if you're having hip trouble, if you're having back, elbow, whatever it is, like, and like, I see it more and more with my programming, the more and more that I learn, the more and more that I'm able to express the simplicity, the more that I understand it, like my, I'm pretty confident in saying none of my athletes have any major pains. Like, I'm pretty confident in that. And that's, well, except for one, she broke her finger, but that's, that's different. <laughs> I, I have to think about that for a second. Cause I'm like, man, I'm, I'm actually not sure at this moment. Like, <laughs> But in, and maybe it's just cause you have more clients than I do right now, but that's. And, and a lot of them are newer to me too. Yeah. yeah. But, and that's the thing though. It's not to say that they weren't in pain at any point in time though. Right. Yeah. No, so, nobody's working around anything though. So Hannah had like, a that's, hit, but that's exactly. It. But that's the thing though. It's like, if you can keep the training the simplest, and not get all crazy with some of these things you're probably your longevity is probably going to be increased like, well that's something that i was trying to explain to our our good friend um our good friend knock uh, who i who i also coach was we were looking at his training momentum was just so good going into week four and i was he was like hey when do you deload and i was like when Why? the data when the data indicates that you need a deload so like we ran into week five week six we ran that block seven weeks before before the data started to started to indicate a downturn in, in performance and we said okay this is conven conveniently it was a good time to pivot to another block for him but yeah. it was a good indication right there that like we don't arbitrarily do things especially for a lifter of his caliber like he was able to take that my last block went eight weeks his block went seven weeks like we you know, and I've, I've had athletes, um, some of like, especially some, some of the guys that are constantly in a deficit are cutting Connor, Connor could only run like three consecutive weeks of linear work before he would need a quote unquote low stress week to restart the wave. Now there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's more a product of, of his deficit that he was in and the fact that he was cutting weight. Um, but it's, I, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm about it. I'm about it, especially it's interesting because I used to, I used to prescribe to the, to the formal, to the formalized pre-planned deload theory. Um, and I saw merit in it and, and that you could predictably start to, you could start to track uh, recovery. Um, and you were able to, once you had that, you could start to implement these deload weeks. And, and the, the um, immediate thought to that was, well, why don't you just tune back the volume a little bit? So you don't need to deload. 
so that we can keep stringing together exactly. these, so that we can keep stringing together these consecutive weeks. Similarly, with all your athletes being able to stay out of pain, the longer we can avoid the owies and the boo-boos, the longer we can productively train. And that's the goal. We should always be trying to move forward. We're always trying to train. Um, I, so I agree. And I, I think that it's, I think that it's incredibly worthwhile and worth bragging about that none of your clients are in pain because it, it not only is, is good for their quality of life and for the service you provide them, but it's good for their continued progress and the fact that they can continue to train. Yeah. And that's the thing though. It's like, so I'm doing the same thing, basically. Like I'm not taking a deload. I'm not planning a deload going into this meet whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and same thing with, uh, with Jeff's program. Like, we haven't yeah. taken a deload in like, I don't know, like six plus weeks. Right. It's been a while now. He just hit an all-time pop, uh, squat PR. Yeah. You know, he just, you know, not, pulled close not, to 600 not, pounds. and not, not even at 10. No, 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 no. And that's the thing. Like, we won't touch anything close to a 10 in this, in this you know, prep or anything like that. Because there's no need to. Yeah. So like, you don't. Yeah, that makes I, like I, I don't succumb to the idea that we have to beat the living crap out of ourselves at a meat prep or meat peak or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I, I begin to subscribe more and more to the strength and conditioning uh, aspects of training. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like as powerlifting coaches, as powerlifters in general, like we've we've begun to make ourselves niche because, you know, we're powerlifters. We're different than everybody else. And it's like, it's, here's the thing. We're in a sport, right? The same thing we just said, you know, how many, how many collegiate major, you know, high level teams or anything like that are taking deloads every three to four weeks. None of them are. No. They have maybe a bye week in the middle or something, right? They train. They're, yeah, exactly. Great. They're training that's a, that's every single point. week. That's a really and what good they're point. doing. Like they're, they're managing load, they're managing volume, they're managing exposures. They're doing all these different things to continue to play throughout the entirety of the, the, the season which, yeah, we don't have seasons, but if we do the same things, we'll take less deloads. We'll be able to go further and further, right? Because, like, so case in point with my training right now, it's, like, it's more of, like, a wave-style pattern, right? And it's more along the Like, I haven't taken a deload. I've been bench pressing for, I don't know, like, nine weeks now. I haven't taken a deload on bench press. I've used the same movements over and over and over because I'm making progress on them. Like, all these things, like, if you manage the intensities, stick to your intensities. Let me say that again. Stick to them. Yeah. That's the big thing. Because yeah. like I might be able to wave, you know, an RP7 one week on a large single competition bench. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the next two weeks, I might be able to do an eight to a nine on each week and improve, but then have to drop back to that seven RPE. And it's pretty much just fatigue washing, but I'm able to keep going and going and going and going. And this is not like my own concept or anything like that. You do kind of similar thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it's, if anything, it's being modified. And I was turned on to it by you, basically, honestly, like if I'm being real, cause you said like, I don't take deloads. And I was like, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. And you posted the, the photo of like, you know, uh, you know, beginning of training, you're here, like, oh, deload every, every so often, or I never deload. And then in the middle, it's like oh, every mean, three to four yeah. weeks. And then upset <laughs> that it's like no more deloads. And I'm just I mean, like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of where I'm at now. But it's and, one of those things where it's like I'm able to to consecutively string training sessions together, and it's just about sticking to my deloads. Why I'm using a velocity based training method right now too, in the conjunction with RPE. If yeah. I start correlating those two together, I can see okay, yeah, that was an eight, 
or, you know, case in point, you know, Monday I was doing Larson press sixes and it was a situation where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going up to like an RP seven. Well, I, I think I had like 130 kilos on the bar and it is at six. And I was like, man, that didn't really feel that great, but it also didn't feel hard. And I looked down at my velocity tracker and my speed was still at like a 0.3. And I was like, that's nowhere close where I need to be right now. Right. right? And that's nowhere close where I can be. Okay. And so I was able to take the next two sets at 135 and be fine. Yeah. But if I relied on just my subjective feeling and not that qualitative or quantitative uh, feedback as well, I wouldn't be able to, I would have been like, yeah, I'll stay at 130. It's like, is that a make or break thing? No. But at the same time, it does let me stick to my RPEs a little bit better and also let me push things when I need to. Right. And it's the same thing, you know, with athletes and whatnot, you know, if you, especially if you're running something similar to this, like you have to stick to your RPEs and I've had conversations like this before with athletes. And it's like, if you can stick to this one and stick to the next week and stick to the next week and not blow your load, really all we're trying to do is strain under a heavy load with good technique mm -hmm. and good form. That's really all we're trying to do. And if we can do that week to week and just string these sessions together, dude, sky's the limit in my opinion. Yeah, I've been trying to relay that concept. I've I've had an athlete, <laughs> I've had an athlete who's had a hard time kind of getting momentum going. But and in fairness, a ton of it is due to uncontrollable life variables. But we'll get to like week three, things are looking spicy, things are looking hot, and then it's like I could only go to the gym one day this week. And it's like, okay, so essentially we're going to run you back to week one. Like, I, I don't, I can't in good conscience, like ask you to start taking singles at nine and a half and shit when you haven't lifted in seven days. Um, not that it would necessarily be bad for you or, or, or that it would hurt you in any way, but it's not necessarily going to give you the training stimulus. And it's not necessarily going to give me the data that I'm after. No. And also and, it's and like, what's just, the work capacity at that point? Too. Right. Exactly. So instead we'll just restart the wave. And to be fair, the wave is built around volume, volume accrual. Um, I weigh volume and intensity. So typically I'll weigh intensity in the first two weeks and then I weigh volume for three weeks. And then I'm, I hopefully will reach what I think is an appropriate of operating volume for that athlete. And then we'll try to ride that for, I mean, shit, six, seven, eight weeks would be nice to get, I mean, and essentially we'll hit week four, week four, quote unquote, uh, training volume and intensity. And then we'll try to replicate that coming into the later weeks. Even if we're not linearly increasing intensity or load, being able to, to reap that poundage and being able to reap those touches with the bar, being able to, to take the time to train with that fatigue built up. It's, it's worthwhile. Um, yeah. I've had to, I've had to have that discussion with some of my newer clients too, is like, Hey bud, like you don't have to linearly do singles. You don't have to no. always be adding weight to the bar. And I fell into that trap too, when I first started, but I tell them all the time, I'm like, brother, I just took a squat single with 485. I've squatted yeah. 560 in comp. You know what I mean? I squatted like, over 600 pounds. I squatted yeah. 210 on Monday and that was it. Right. So like, let's put it into perspective. Like I, I've benched four, I benched 405. Like my bench singles have been 360. You know, you don't always have to be, and, and it's especially with newer athletes trying to explain that the, the, the degree, the proximity to failure that they could train at doesn't necessarily need to be as close as they've been led to believe, yeah. especially if they are coming from bodybuilding pursuits where you do train to failure. Yeah. And a lot of us get into powerlifting from those hypertrophy based bro type pursuits yeah so i'm learning some of that as fun yeah all right it's and i'll kind of do the same thing with my training as far as like waving intensities it, it's not necessarily it is waving but at the same time it's not waving to a point where it's like 
you know, hitting eight nines and then all of a sudden we're dropping down to like five or six. It's only dropping to like a seven, right? But that's that that RP seven is also dictating the weight. Like I'm not trying to suddenly go up every single time or anything like that because I'm just not gonna yeah. be able to. But as we continue to go and go and go, like we sure in theory start to normalize things. Like maybe that drop will become a little bit less next time. But I think for the most part, like I, I would rather take and in, keep intensity the same as much as I can with those waves mm-hmm. and just drop some volume off. Like if, if somebody's not recovering, like dude, that's such right, a, cool. Let, that's let's just drop some volume off and we'll we'll or pick the things that are pinpoint that we need to focus on. That's such an easy way to mitigate fatigue and to yeah. like knock down some of like some of the intra-block fatigue. And I tell people that and I'm like, yeah. hey man, if you go into the session, you're already feeling beat up and you've got five back down sets maybe you only do three and you just go into the next session with a little bit more recovery and you just hit it hard on the next session and it's in that way that i'm able to do these eight week blocks it's not to say that i never knock a set off here or there it's not to say that i never have a down week it's just that i don't completely deload blow my my volume tolerance and just go back to rpe well and so that's the thing too though it's like for me personally i will try to keep for my cough comp movements volume and intensity the same right I'll drop load or not drop load, but I'll drop volume off the accessories as need be. Maybe, you know, drop a set off each one. And I'm only doing maybe two to three sets for accessories. But that's like, that's a whole different thing. That's individual. Like that's depending on what you can handle. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. I'm also getting, I'm also getting the notification right now. Yeah. All right, buddy. It's been really good to talk to you. Um, yeah. To the next one we will. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll have to um, get our Google spreadsheet going again with different topic <laughs> ideas, and we'll start doing Q and A's around around topics for the podcast as well. Yeah, I need to be a little bit more active on that. I I got to manage my schedule better, but uh, yeah. your your uh, your availability is is rough right now with school and everything, yeah. which I recognize. But uh, it's it's tough to do the social media thing with the job that you have and everything going yeah. on. Just be, I'll, I'll be more diligent about it with some of my Q and A's as well. Start adding questions to it. Yeah. Feel right, free to tag me and I'll add it on mine too. So. Okay. Perfect. It was good talking to you. All right, Ben. Yeah. Where can they find you real quick? Um, oh, I'm on Facebook or Instagram. You can search Steve Pruitt with one T. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Steve's lifts. Sweet, sweet. And I am mm-hmm. Dalton underscore MM and ICSN. If you just search that, I'll pop up. All right, man. Awesome. Good talk. Deuces. Awesome. I'll talk to you later.